Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. We are in a series called Think, and we're trying to think better. Amen? Because if we think better, we just live better, and we'll experience more of what God wants for us. So I've, I've titled my uh, talk today, I Know Who You Are. <laughs> and really the heart behind this is we've been learning to try and think ourselves better. And I just had this thought, do we know what God thinks about us? Because if we know correctly what God thinks about us, we'll think better about ourselves. Amen? Amen? And it'll unlock things for us. And I just believe that there's something for all of us today, really, um, a relief. I think God wants to relieve you of something today. Uh, and I think that's going to empower you. So before I carry on, I'd love to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I'm grateful, God that when someone like me gets up to speak, we can rely on the promises that you give us, the one that says, your word never goes out and comes back empty. It always achieves the thing for which you send it out. And I'm trusting you today, Lord, that you, you'll do miraculous things in my heart and mind and in each of us here today. Amen. I've titled the talk, I Know Who You Are. Um, which I've already said because I maybe you're like me you find that there are times in your life where you think you knew somebody right and they did something or they said something that shocked you to the core do you ever fall into that trap have you ever suffered the consequences of that sometimes it makes you step back and, and not want to trust anybody but my point is, is this, sometimes what you see in people's lives is not the real them. And, and I've seen it in my own family, in my own marriage. Why are you laughing? <laughs> Next year, I'm going to be married 23 years, which is no small thing. But I want to tell you, recently... Sorry, she's over there. There are times when I've been convinced that's not my wife. <laughs> that somehow there's this scheme and an imposter has been planted in our family. I'm serious. I'm serious. Because for like 20 years of our marriage, this is an example, right? I can't understand. For 20 years of our marriage, Heidi was a staunch tea fanatic. And whenever I offered her coffee, she would say no. But about three years ago, she started drinking coffee. And I feel like I don't know her. To the point now 
where she absolutely gasps for coffee. And she'll have one right after the other. And what shocked me even more is that recently, sorry, she's listening, she stopped having milk in her coffee. I'm telling you, she's an imposter. It's a light-hearted kind of illustration of how sometimes people aren't who we always think they are. Amen. You know, an imposter is somebody who pretends to be somebody else, to deceive somebody or to achieve some kind of a purpose. And uh, I wonder if you've ever been guilty of doing that in some way or form. I was watching a YouTube video this week because kind of one of the weird things that I feel like I want to do this year is try and learn to play the drums. <clears throat> and I was watching some guys, uh, one particular guy doing a tutorial on YouTube and he, he said something that I never heard before. He talked about this thing that he suffered from and he called it imposter syndrome. Has anyone ever heard of imposter syndrome before? Okay. So some of the symptoms are you, you feel like the things that you've achieved in life have been some kind of lucky break, even though you, you legitimately earned your way to the job that you have or whatever it may be. And you find yourself suffering with these feelings that one day someone is going to find out that you're actually not the real deal. You know, that, so this drummer, for argument's sake, he, he wasn't like one of those drummers that focused heavily on the theory of drumming. He was a super competent drummer, but he wasn't like one of those guys who practiced and got down all the 40 rudimentals of whatever it was. He was just really good. And whenever he was in the company of other drummers, he felt like one day they were going to find out that actually he's not a proper drummer. Do you know what I'm trying to say? This idea that you don't quite belong in the company of these people because you're not the real deal. You might be a great drummer, but you feel like, I don't really belong here. Amen? And this is one of the symptoms that people who suffer with this imposter, imposter syndrome feel. They feel like one day the people at work will find out actually that they're not as qualified as the others, that they, their boss will find out, or, or people will find out that they're not the best wife or husband in the world, or, you know, you, you feel like one day you're just going to get exposed. I wonder if you've ever felt that way as a Christian when you've come into church, where maybe you're feeling like that today. You, you might be sat here amongst all these other Christians, and you feel like, these guys are way better than me. I, don't I shouldn't really be here. I feel like a bit of a fraud because there are guys in this place who are amazing. Brother wonderful and sister amazing. And I am... I'm shocking, really. But I, I, I kind of... I'm able to present myself in a way that people won't immediately go, you're not the real deal. I wonder if you've ever felt that way before. Kind of 
if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. If they really knew me, they wouldn't want to talk to me. They wouldn't want to be my friend. You might even be, and, and this is, I struggled a little bit this week as I've been preparing this sermon, feeling like I'm a leader in the church and I have a leadership role, but surely someone better than me can be doing this. You know, you could even be in a leadership role and you feel like I'm not up to this. I'm not the right person. I shouldn't be doing this. There are better qualified people. Can I say today that I actually think we are all imposters? If we're honest, all of us on a level are concealing something about ourselves. Amen? We become really good at presenting a sanitized version of ourselves because no one knows me like me. And if you knew me like I know me, you would think differently about me. And so somehow we are operating as imposters. Even in church, it can happen. And it does happen every Sunday. And the thing that drives that forward is fear. Why are we like that? I reckon that humanity is suffering from a congenital heart defect. All of us. If we can read Jeremiah 17:9, listen to me when I tell you this. The heart. Now when it's talking about the heart, it's talking about the inner you. The bit that people can't see. The real you. The thinker. The decision maker. The character. Yes? The heart is, listen now, this is deceitful above all things. Maybe you've been trying to understand yourself and you just can't get a handle on it. Why do I think these things? Why do I do these things? Why am I still like this after all these years? The heart is deceitful above all things. If you, if you were to study that word deceitful, it means sly. It means insidious. It means crooked. It means polluted. Now, hopefully this gives you a bit of relief in a sense when you realize actually you're not a particularly bad person. We all are. Amen? Because we have this heart defect that we were born with. That makes us act in ways we wish we wouldn't. Or want things that we wish we wouldn't. Or say things we wish we wouldn't. Or think things we wish we wouldn't. And it goes on to say, not only is the heart deceitful, it's beyond cure. Maybe you've spent so many years of your life trying to fix yourself. And you're just at the same place thinking, man, one day, one day I'll sort myself out. But you just can't, and you're so frustrated. Who can understand the heart? Who can understand the inner man? Is what Jeremiah says. Do you ever 
worry what God thinks about you. I mean, we're talking about this idea that I project something of myself which is sanitized. It's way better than the real guy. And I can get away with concealing myself from you. But as we're going to read in a moment, <laughs> don't kid yourself. You can't hide from God. How does that make you feel? So let's read together because King David in Psalm 139, I, for me it was like, I've read this scripture many times, but I felt like he understood something this week as I was preparing that I haven't understood before, that he didn't understand. It's like he had this wow moment with God where he realized something about God and something fell off of David. And he understood something new. So let's read together. Psalm 139. It's going to go up on the screen. Uh, reading from verse 1. Now, you can't kid God. And I'm going to just read it for you. And you're going to see why. David says in verse 1. You have searched me. You have searched me, Lord. And you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. And you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in from behind and before. And you lay your hand upon me. Now when David is speaking here, he, he's, he's speaking with delight. Not like, oh man, I'm, I'm busted. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, he says. Too lofty for me to attain. Where can I even go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Is there a place? No. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. That is beautiful. When you've just been realizing he knows everything about you, he wants to guide you. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. What we're experiencing now is what nighttime would be like for God. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We're talking about identity today, okay? David has understood something. I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that now, I reckon, if you would, he would put that word now in there. I know that now, 
full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. God knew you and he saw you before you existed physically. That's how well he knows you. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He had your life planned out before your mother and father got together. He knew you. You weren't a pipe dream. He knew you. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. And that is the sentence that stands out to me. Because I know what I'm like. And I know I'd be terrified if people knew me like I knew me. And if God knew me like I know me, well, I'd be a goner. That's kind of how I think. And yet David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. I mean, he's just been talking about how God knows him. So he's saying, God, the thoughts that you think about me are precious. Does he sound like a scared man? Does he sound like a man full of guilt and shame? Or does he sound confident and secure before God? Even though God knows that he's not a perfect guy. Somehow, David feels this wonderful confidence inside of him and security, even though God knows him like nobody's business. How is it possible that David can stand in the sight of God and say, Lord, your thoughts are precious to me. What you think about me is the most important thing. And I want to know, God, I'm desperate to just live in that place. Somehow, as a human being, he had a breakthrough, a wow moment. Let me read to you what God says about you through the, the prophet Jeremiah. Chapter 29, verse 11. You've read these verses before, but I don't think you've understood them sometime. I, I know I didn't. This is the New King James Version. God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace. What? Why? I deserve destruction. I'm disgusting, God. I think thoughts of peace toward you. Not of evil. I'm not waiting for you to trip up so I can hammer you. I'm not waiting for a way to, to be spiteful towards you because you wouldn't listen to me. And you kept doing the things I told you not to do. I'm not waiting with my foot out. I think thoughts of peace towards you. Listen now. To give you a future and a hope. Other Bibles say a future hope. He's basically saying... I think such thoughts of peace towards you that I want you to know that your end is an expected end. There's going to be no surprise at the end of days in me because your future is secure. You don't have to fear about the future 
and you don't have to worry about now. It's like he's saying to us today, Christian, if you were wondering whatever, at any particular point, what I think about you, let me just tell you, so I can put your heart and mind at rest. They're thoughts of peace. I'm smiling right now. And you're thinking, it doesn't make sense. Why God? Why would you not be outraged in this moment? Why is it so that you can be completely at rest when you think about me? I don't stir any feelings of frustration or anger inside of you. How is it that you want good things for me? I don't deserve it, Lord. But it's true. And I want to tell you why it's possible today. Is that all right? If God fully knows me like he says he does, why on earth does he think so well of me? I want to answer that question today. You know, often in the Bible, when the, when the Bible talks about you and I as Christians, it talks about us as being in Christ. Everybody say, in Christ. It's really important. This is basic stuff, but I promise you, people struggle with this, okay? What I'm going to tell you today. The Bible says that you are in Christ. It's like a branch that is joined into a tree. It's one. Amen? The Bible describes you when you, when you make that decision to follow Jesus, when you cross over the line of faith, when, when you become a believer, when you become what the Bible describes as a Christian or, or what we talk about as a Christian, you become in Christ. That means you're in Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 3 says this. You died in that moment when you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you invite him to come and live in you and to be the boss of your life. When you ask him to be Lord, the Bible tells him something dies in that moment. And the thing that dies in that moment is the person that you have always known. Now, I, I can get it now. Some of you are thinking, what? I'm still me. The Bible says that in that moment, when you gave your life to Jesus, you died. Remember, what you're thinking currently now about yourself may not be true. And the only way we find out what is true is by, by asking the Lord. Amen? Looking in His Word. And what His Bible says about us is true is more true than our experience of who we are. Just because you haven't experienced it how you think you should, doesn't mean it's not true. Amen? The Bible says that you died and your life, that word is Zoe. That means your Holy Spirit invigorated new eternal life. The old guy died. The life now that you have is hidden with Christ in God. That means, if you can imagine it, that you have been absorbed into Christ. And so when God hears the name that is your name and he looks at you, do you know who he sees? 
Who does he see? Jesus. He doesn't see you broken and sinful, provoking anger. He sees Jesus' finished work on the cross. He sees how Jesus came to the earth, lived like you in the world that you live in, died amongst you, and rose again to life. And that represents you now. So when God looks at you, he sees the face of his son Jesus, and he smiles. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. This is why he smiles. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. The sinless one. God made him sin for us. So that, listen, here's that phrase again. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. So you might feel like a dirty, rotten scoundrel right now, but you know who God calls you? Righteous. The righteousness of God. Just let that sink in, because everything and every fiber in your body wants to fight against that truth. When God thinks about you, he thinks of righteousness. You are the righteousness of God. That is your new identity. I'm trying to explain your new identity today. You are hidden with Christ. You are the righteousness of God. There's no one more righteous than God. Amen? There is no one holier than God. But you are holy and you are righteous. 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the Bible says he is the same person that he always was. That's how you think sometimes. But the Bible says you are a new creation. Do you know, that doesn't mean that you know, I have this phone that if I was to buy a new one, it would cost me hundreds of pounds. But I went for a refurbished one and it was much cheaper. But you know what? It still has a fault and it annoys the heck out of me. And often I want to smash it against the wall. Now, when the Bible says that you're a new creation, it's not saying that God took something that was broken and refurbished it, changed a part, and sold it on. No, what that means is you are completely new. A brand new version of yourself. Not a polished version of the old man. You're a different person. Your mind is going, James, if only you knew me, you would know that's not true. If you believe that about yourself, you have no power to change. And I'm trying to help you see where you are now, what your real identity is, so that it can empower you to express yourself 
like the new man. Amen? You're a new creation, the Bible says. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. All things are new. Let's go on again. So, the Bible says that you are hidden with Christ. This is your new ident identity. You need to remember these things so that when you think differently, you can remind yourself that you are the righteousness of God, that you are a new creation, my friend. A brand new version. Uh, Ezekiel 36 verse 26, the prophet Ezekiel is speaking, God says, and I will give you a new. You know, when you do a search of the word new in the Bible, it always talks about God. Somehow God is related in those scriptures because God is in the business of new. He's not interested in old. He wants to make new. He's creative. Amen? Um, I will give you a new heart. You know that heart that I was talking about earlier on? That deceitful one. That sly, insidious, crooked and polluted heart of yours that the Bible says is beyond cure. Jesus said, I've given you a new one. I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. So when you feel despairing, Remember who you are. Because there's a danger here, right? If we don't know who we are, we can't move forward. So, and if you can imagine a road with a ditch either side, one of the ditches is, I'm so desperately frustrated with myself that I don't think I'll ever get better, so there's no point in me doing this Christian malarkey anymore. There's no point in me coming and sitting amongst all these great people when I'm so rubbish. That's a ditch. It's not true. The other ditch is, well, I've realized that I can't fix myself, so this actually just must be who God made me. So I'll resolve it that way. Okay, that's cool. God made me like this, so he's happy. God didn't make you like that. That's another ditch. So we must know who we are in God so that we can continue to grow in Christ's likeness. You're hidden with Christ. You're the righteousness of God. You're a new creation, a brand new version of yourself. Not a, not a slightly altered version, a different one. You've got a new heart and a new spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11 says, Don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Greg was talking about this idea of how we can be self-deceived last week. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were. Do you get that? He's obviously talking to a group of people 
who are believers and unbelievers. And he says to them, some of you standing here today used to be like that. And I'm sure there must have been a few Christians in that place thinking, well, you can't be talking about me. I don't feel massively different. But Paul has understood something. That when you cross the line of faith, you changed from a dead old man to a new one. And he doesn't call you a drunkard anymore, even though you might have a few drinks. He might call you a swindler or a thief or an adulterer. Well, you might call yourself that, but you're not. The Bible says that you're new. What I'm trying to say is, right, something happened in regards to who you now are. And just because you still experience the gravitational pull of temptation on your life, it doesn't mean that that's who you are. You are not that person in God's eyes anymore. Because He's done everything to make it possible for you to be a brand new person. The problem is, we fall into this idea that we are bad people trying to be good people. And we can't be because we don't have the power. Amen? We're trying to do it ourselves. But actually what God says now is, you're a good person trying to be good, trying to live right. When I look at you, I don't feel anger because Jesus took my anger. He paid the penalty that you should have so you don't get to pay that penalty anymore. You need to stop punishing yourself and trying to whip yourself and pull your socks up because you don't have it. You don't have the power. But I've put a new heart in you. You have a new identity. And now you just need to learn what it is and be the real you. The real you is righteous, is hidden with Christ. You've got a new heart, a new spirit. Jesus, you're hidden in him. That's the new you. If you want to be true to yourself today, be who you are. Because actually, when you act like that dead man, you're acting like an imposter. You need to get your head around this, right? I know it's a bit of a mind bender. But if, if we can see ourselves differently, We'll stop judging ourselves so heavily. We'll stop putting this massive weight of expectation on ourselves and, and, and try and carry it with our own strength. We'll realize that God has empowering us. You know, every time that you choose to sin, it's not because you couldn't help yourself. You didn't have to because you're a new person. You're not under the authority of sin anymore. You're just acting like the old person used to act instead of being the new person who God has made you.
because you've always walked that road before, you don't know how to walk the new road. Well, I'm telling you, it's possible. The new road lies before you. It's like, the only thing I can think of is like when someone goes into the witness protection program, they get a new name, they get a new background, they get a new address, and they have to try and remember all that information to be that person. And the journey that we're actually on right now is one where God is saying, this is who you are. This is how you act. So what is new about your identity? I want to try and summarize that now as I finish. Think of the word new. Okay? N-E-W. What does your new identity in a summarized form mean? It means N, you've got a new name. You are a child of the living God. You're the son or daughter of God. And with that comes all the privileges and the rights and the authority. Amen? You're not Mr. Nobody who happened to vote Jesus and is just trying to be a good guy and keeps falling. You're a child of God. You've got a new name. E, you have a new expression. A different way of being you. A new life. A better way. An empowered way. Amen? Where that righteousness that is inside of you permeates out of you. You've got a new name. You've got a new expression. And you've got W, a new work. God has given you a new purpose for living. To worship Him. And to live for Him. To take on His mission, which is far greater than what the world offers us. And see the world changed like we've been changed. Amen? You've got a new name. You've got a new expression. And you've got a new job. A new work. And we're learning. It's like starting a new job. It takes time to find your way around it. Amen? We're learning what it is to live like righteous people. Because we are righteous people. We're learning to feel and think and dream with a new heart. Not like the old broken one. Why, why would you get something new and pick up that old one? Maybe because it's familiar, but it's not better. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.